I started my women's Bible study last week. We are exploring the role of women in Luke's gospel, and we will meet monthly through April. Any of you ladies who would like to join us, let me know. Um, it is not too late. So in our first gathering, I was sharing that um, it's important to understand some of the overarching themes when you're studying a gospel and how to identify that writer's particular markers. You see, when I was in seminary, I had a New Testament professor who said that unless we were raised in a denomination that made you memorize scripture, we were in need of some tricks. We needed to be able to find the context clues. And of course, I was raised an Episcopalian, so I needed many tricks, <laughs> lots of clues. So we needed to understand the shorthand of each gospel writer's theme and what their fingerprints were that could help us make an educated guess whenever we saw a piece of scripture out of context. There is no doubting that this week's gospel is from Mark. You could give me a pop quiz and I would pass it right away, and I'll tell you why. Of all the gospels, the disciples and Mark are the most pitiful. <laughs> Mark has no patience for them, and they get a full edit every time. So we just heard Deacon Sally read. Jesus and his disciples passed through Galilee. He did not want anyone to know it, for he was teaching his disciples, saying to them, the Son of Man is to be betrayed into human hands, and they will kill him, and three days after being killed, he will rise again. Here's how you know it's Mark. But they did not understand what he was saying, and they were afraid to ask him. This is the second time in a very pre brief span of time that Jesus has told them the same thing. He has told them of his suffering. They have he has told them of his death and his resurrection. I mean, we just heard it a week ago. And they still don't understand. Unlike Mark, I actually have some sympathy for the disciples for their lack of understanding. It makes no sense. It is unimaginable to them that Jesus could meet such a fate. I would have struggled to wrap my head around it too. But Mark is not kind to the disciples. The part I don't understand is that they didn't ask any questions. The disciples and Mark are not only slow on the uptake, they are also seem to be moving around in a constant state of fear. And we haven't seen much to give credence to the fact that they should be afraid to ask questions. We are told that this is a time of teaching. Who doesn't love questions if you're a teacher? So instead, I would love to know what would have happened had they asked. Jesus, you keep talking about this betrayal, this death, this rising. What does that mean? When will it happen? What does it have to do with us? And perhaps the most important question they could have asked, why does it have to happen this way? Instead, they keep their mouths shut. They do not ask any questions of substance, 
And then instead, they start an inane argument about who is the greatest. It reminds me of those topper conversations that children have. My favorite was overheard while driving a carpool once. One child hopped in the car and said, hey, we just went to Disney World. And another child who was already in the car said, oh yeah, I live at Disney World. <laughs> That's a true story. And I think Mark's pitiful disciples seem no better. What if they had asked real questions? What if they had shown real curiosity about what was coming and about Jesus? How might their journey with Jesus have been different, been enriched? And maybe it is because I was a teacher, or maybe I became a teacher because, chicken or the egg, I am curious. I ask a lot of questions. I love questions. And I wonder about many things, usually out loud, and sometimes to the dismay of my colleagues at staff meetings. I love the conversation, the research, the discovery that come with questions. And I think God does too. We baptized all sorts of folks during the pandemic. It was one of the joys that our sacramental ministry continued even when so much else in our lives had slowed. We baptized many babies, lots of children, and even a few adults out in the white garth on Sunday afternoons, surrounded by family and friends. And last April, it was my turn, and I baptized three brothers. It was amazing. And one of those boys was incredibly curious. And I love that his brothers call him Ninja. And that actually has nothing to do with the story, but I think Ninja is an awesome nickname. So this seven-year-old boy, Ninja, wanted to know exactly what we were about to do and why. He wanted to inspect the font. He wanted to check out the oil. He smelled it. He wanted to know about the candle. And he wanted to know exactly how much water I was going to use. He also asked how long I had been doing this. And I think that's a really smart question, because if some lady is going to pour oil and water over your head, you would rather this not be her first time. So one of the really nice things about these, for those of you who have hair my color, will remember the 1928 prayer book version of private baptism was that there was time for all of this. There was plenty of time for questions to be asked and answered. And so that's what we did. We didn't start until he was satisfied that he had gotten the whole scoop. And afterwards, we marveled at the immiscible way in which the chrism oil pooled in bubbles on top of the holy water in the font. I mean, it was curiosity about God and science and baptism all rolled into one. It was awesome. We write notes to each of the children that we baptize. 
We thank them for the privilege of being with them in this holy moment. We welcome them into God's family, and we tell them how excited we are that we'll get to see them grow up at St. John's. And so I wrote a note to Ninja, and I said all those things. But I also told him that I loved his questions and that God loved them too. And I told him to never stop asking, to never stop being curious, because God loves our curiosity. Curiosity is holy, and it is how our faith grows. And these poor, clueless, Markan disciples, what can we learn from them? I think we can learn that we should not fear asking questions. We should trust that God invites and delights in our curiosity. Questions do not mean we are stupid. They do not mean we are skeptical. And they do not have to mean we doubt. Curiosity is simply how our faith grows. And this is a great time to be curious at St. John's. The formation year is starting, and there are countless ways to engage your holy curiosity. Are there questions that you've been holding on to? Questions that you don't think you could or should ask God? How might our journey be different with Jesus? if we asked those questions? How might it be enriched? I encourage you, go ahead, ask. Ask.